Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Carla, my dear, you're forgetting like the basic principle of advertising. Why? Oh, sure. I could tell them I got no kids, right? right. I could tell them that I'm 21, 5'9, right. gorgeous green eyes, flaming red hair, and tatas till Tuesday. <laughs> How am I going to explain the way I really look when he sees me? Stress? Hey. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and joining me to discuss the Cheers episode with possibly the worst title is fellow Fire and Water All-Star and the host of Gimme That Star Trek, Who's Editing, Ohatmu or Not, and other shows with really good titles on the Fire and Water Network. Please welcome Siskoid back to the show. What's up, man? Um, recovering from heat stroke, <laughs> which is uh, an absurd thing to say when uh, you live in Atlantic Canada, but there it is. Uh, and I'm not sure my podcast titles are all that great. Everybody goes, oh, Hotmoo or not, what the hell does that mean? Unless they know exactly what it means. It just seems like a word salad or a letter sa- like a Scrabble game gone wrong. But uh, but thanks for saying it. First strike, that was fine. That told you immediately what you were getting into. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> well, we are going to be talking about the fourth season episode, number seven, Too Good to Be For Real. And if you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound too bad. You have to imagine that as written out, it substitutes numbers for letters. So it's the number two, the word good, the number two again, the word B, and I don't know why they didn't just use the letter B, the number four, and then real. Early leet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't know what... what I don't know what how they, they came up with this title before the Black Eyed Peas. I don't know what was going on there. No, no, that's it. It's, it's a little early for... Uh... Yeah. Sort of hip hop name. Yeah, but. really. So, anyway, uh, episode written by Peter Casey and David Lee, directed by Jim Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, November 14th, 1985. Carla is depressed because she's been unlucky at love for so long. Reluctantly, she admits to Sam and the other guys that she has taken out an ad in the personals, but so far, no one has responded. Sam, Woody, Norm, and Cliff decide to write her a fake letter from a guy, not to embarrass or prank her, but so that she'll feel more confident and desirable and thus attract a real man. When Carla gets a letter from Mitch Wainwright, a divorced airline pilot with the looks of a model, and completely fabricated by Sam and the others, she falls for him hard. So hard, in fact, that she rejects the advances of Vinnie Clausen, an awkward funeral director who responds to Carla's ad, and who is, in fact, a living person. Recognizing that Carla's about to throw away a real opportunity for a fiction, Sam confesses to making up Mitch with the others. Diane, who hated the idea all along, defends what they did and helps Carla put things in perspective and encourages Carla to go out with Vinny, which she does. Meanwhile, Diane has been taking a mime class at the university and invites the mime performer Soto to do his act at Cheers. This goes about as well as you would expect. All right, Cisco, what did you think about this episode? 
well, the the mime subplot is uh, not very good. So I, I feel like it, it doesn't even speak to the main plot. You know, it, that part of it was everybody hates a mime. Yes, agreed. Um, <laughs> We're going to reinforce that over the court over the second act, like the last twelve minutes. Yeah, <laughs> but the um, but the Carla plot. I watched it a couple times in preparation for this, and the first time I was like, I felt. You know, I, I've had uh, problems before where what well, there was an episode before where um, they were pranking mm-hmm. Carla, and uh, I felt that was I felt the characters were cruel. That's in, that's actually why I thought of you for this episode because I thought mm-hmm. you might have a different a different opinion on this one. Well, in this one, the first time I watched it, I felt I was rediscovering it because I haven't seen it since I was I don't know fourteen, fifteen, whatever it is. Uh, I thought, well, this is another cruelty to Carla episode. Even though it comes from a, a good place or a better place than the that other episode where they were pranking her with bad uh, birthday gifts, I think mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. But the second time I watched it, I uh, I made my peace with it. So I, I felt like, yeah, especially since the idea actually comes from the most guileless character on the show. The the idea comes from Woody mm-hmm. of all people. Yeah, and uh, so he doesn't mean any harm, and we know that. And the other guys are. You know, a little more cynical, and you know, you know, if, if if you know if she doesn't like it or if it doesn't work out, um, you know, Norm says something like, "Well, uh, we'll just make her, we'll just make this fictional man dump all over her or something." <laughs> so there is a uh, whatever you you give Carla, she gives back in in spades. Usually, you know, yeah, she's very yeah. like she's very mean to Cliff in this one. Uh, which is normal. It's like everyday right, normal right. in the pecking order. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, but I still feel like when they pick on her in some way, uh, and that a lot of her plots to date, when when we the spotlight's been on Carla, have kind of been um, in that mold. Here they're just idiots, and they don't mean any harm. Although they haven't thought this through. Uh, right. You know, if, if when push comes, whenever you know. <laughs> When she eventually has to meet him, they were planning to just have his plane go down in the <laughs> yeah. South Pacific. That would have been very hurtful. Yes. <laughs> Not the hurtful. They, they were trying to avoid a certain kind of hurt, but that would have been insane. Right. So they haven't thought this through. Uh, and um, and she's uh, – I'm going to say she's quick to forgive, but not easy. She doesn't find it easy to forgive. So uh, looking, at it th- uh, looking at it through her, her eyes and her performance – I kind of like this story after all. Yes, I, I think that's yeah, yeah. Like as I was going through my notes, I was I was kind of finding okay, it's not the funniest episode, and you're right. Like when I got into it, I was like, oh, okay, it's one of those sitcom tropes that has been done to death. When you kind of you're writing a letter as somebody else to like to either to hurt somebody or to to help them and something is going to go wrong it's the law of unintended consequences that you don't anticipate when you're getting i was like okay i've seen this enough times is that is this one going to be really any different um but as i was kind of like discovering by the end of the episode and at first i i think i think the last four or five minutes of the episode are really really strong almost enough to like redeem the rest of the show mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um I, I think there's a lot of good humor and a lot of heart in the in the end of the episode so overall i was like you know as things go it's it's kind of a more one of the more pleasant carla centric episodes it, it really is um and yeah like again like all all the things like this is just a dumb idea you're gonna try and tr- 
trick Carla, and they call it out. I mean, they they kind of do anticipate a lot of the problems. And, and Norm says, you know, once she finds out, she'd kill us and everything. Um, but the fact that it's it's an idea coming with honest, genuine intentions. They actually say it's like we don't, you know, we're not trying to get her to fall in love. But if she feels better about herself, the more confidence she has, the more attractive she'll look to some real guy. Um, so that's really like all they're trying to do is just you know buck up her confidence, and then they're just too successful. <laughs> they they create this fictional person that she falls in love with, and she's so faithful and committed to that she rejects other. <laughs> carbon-based ca- candidates who want her too. So <laughs> we have to also a lot of the, we never talk about this. I don't think. Well, you never talk about this, or rarely do. But the idea that when they get into these schemes, we have to understand that the bartenders, their shtick is being kind of dumb, mm-hmm. and Norm and Cliff are drunk. <laughs> like we never mentioned that they never seem drunk, you know. Yeah. But they're they're drinking. They're always there. They're always drinking uh, and uh, body mass aside. <laughs> However, Norm is, is uh, you know, drinking all of this beer. Tipping my hand. He has quite a few in this episode. Yes. And so the, the they're on a, the buzz. So when somebody throws out an idea, they're all in. Mm-hmm. They're ready to do it. They're embarrassing themselves because they're in a bar and there's like a boys club kind of uh, you know, somebody s- proposes something and suddenly that suggestion g- balloons and gets out of control. This is every drinking party I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. Cheers is pretty timid compared to some of the stuff my friends and I have, have gotten up to just on a on a whim. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, you'd think like some of those stories could fit in a sitcom and you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. You know, basically. So this is this is normal. Uh, and um, I'm not saying it's it's excusable, but Norman and Cliff are impaired. The, anytime we have somebody who is the voice of reason, which will normally be Diane, that's because she's there. She's working. She's not drunk and she's not an idiot like like uh, Sam, Coach or Woody. So um, like they're going to they're not going to think things through. And the, the drunk guys obviously aren't. And that's how they get into the, these these kinds of troubles. Yeah, that's right. I never thought about how much, in like a realistic circumstance, we would chalk a lot of their hijinks up to drunken buffoonery and alcohol abuse. Like, like if it was a different kind of show, that's that would be the explainer for yeah. most of their poor decision making. Of course, they're at a bar the whole time. Yeah, but in reality, the actors are drinking point five beer or whatever. Right. Yeah, faux beer or something is what yeah. they call it. Yeah. All right, well, uh, let's get into it. Our, our teaser, this is oh, this is a weird kind of teaser, uh, and, and only weird because of, like, something that they kind of address in here, but, you know, Sam is carrying something out of the office, and Sam, or Woody says he'll take it, and Sam is, like, offhand, he's like, I'm not as old as I look, and, and Woody says, really? And it's, like, the first kind of dig at, like, Sam's age in here. And then Diane tells Sam that she has tickets to a concert, and she said, it's Jacques Brel is alive and well and living in Paris, and the gag is Sam confuses him with Jacques Cousteau, and he's like, he's not doing that underwater stuff anymore. Um, and this leads to a joke about, like, music from the fit, and, and Sam said, like, who put the bop by Barry Mann, and then he's, been, like, and Woody doesn't know any of these, like, bands or songs. And Sam mentions the uh, Yakety Yak by the Coasters, the Shirelles, the Dixie Cups. And he's like, really, you don't know any of these old bands? And Woody's like, oh, old music, like Devo. And I, I just, I was like, for Cheers, 
hardly ever dealt with something of sort of like that kind of like pop culture or or dated references or something that would give it a a specific time or age. It, It was always more kind of timeless and ethereal than that. So when they when they do this kind of joke, I just I don't know if this one worked for me. What did you think? The initial sh- shot <laughs> fired uh, did work for me, which is Woody asking, "Really?" And then <laughs> I, and it's almost like, like I don't need the rest. It's not almost. I don't need the rest. Mm-hmm. I I like Woody a lot. Like I've I've watched uh, this is the seventh episode. I've watched the previous six, uh, and uh, of course going like, mm, yeah, okay. All the previous six were all much stronger than this one, uh, generally. But the character that really that I find compelling in the first six is Woody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, really like Woody and uh, I wasn't expecting it. I mean, I thought, well, you know what, you know, I remember Woody, uh, obviously, uh, and I've seen more episodes of with him, ob- ob- also obviously than coach uh, over the years, but uh, I wasn't expecting the the, 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 the charm of this, this character who is completely naive and, and, and you know, and, and smiling and positive and, um, it's a real interesting performance from this perspective where today we know the actor, also Woody, <laughs> <laughs> to know we, today we know the actor for many kinds of different roles and much more cynical roles and yeah, harder roles. Much darker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like like there was probably a moment where we went uh, natural born killers with Woody Harrelson. I think I think he was filming that just like maybe during the last season of Cheers. Like those were like coming out like pretty close together. Yeah, so we were going like, okay, this is a total shift. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Because all you've ever seen him do is this man boy character, mm-hmm. and um, and so like looking at him here and knowing his eventual range, you're thinking, you know, he's really putting something into this that is that feels genuine. It feels so sincere. The, the character is so sincere mm-hmm. uh, and an absent of malice of any kind. So I I, I really feel drawn to whatever he's doing and a lot of what he's doing it's just like this these random uh reactions to things you know and like in this he'll say so you know they're later on she, uh, the meme thing <laughs> yeah what is like meme and so meme? Goes, most people call it mime and he's like mime, mime? <laughs> i like that too. yeah so i i really like his delivery of these just little things that normally might might just be nothing mm-hmm. and uh when when sam says i'm not as old as i look Really? It's not cynical. It's not mean-spirited. It's not – it's just his reaction is so dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I like that. And then it connects to the whole point where Sam's pop culture is um, vintage mm-hmm. at best. Uh, I feel like it's really it's really older than it should be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He stopped listening to music in the – early 60s or yeah he's so, talking about early early doo-wop and motown groups and stuff like that from the 50s and 60s and it's like you know sam was uh, in the in major league baseball in the 70s he would be a rock he would have like all those rock albums and everything that yeah yeah it's it's odd so um it feels more like what the writers were thinking of as pop culture than mm-hmm. than what would be normal like i can't also it's hard to believe that woody is a devo fan <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he feels more country boy than that. So it, it did, and the fact that he's from Hanover, Indiana, that line did remind me of a gag from Parks and Recreation, 
which is set in another Indiana yeah. town, uh, Pawnee, Indiana. And Aziz Ansari's character, he, he has a line one time, and this was like back in like 2008. He's like, people in this town are just starting to get into Nirvana. I don't have the heart to tell them what happens to Kurt Cobain in 1994. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, that's a missed opportunity. Are, is it, Cheers was NBC, was it? Yes. Yep, yep. And so was Parks and Recs, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, so I, I feel like maybe uh, Woody Harrelson should have uh, dropped by Pawnee at oh, some that point. that would have been great. <laughs> that would have been an insane <laughs> crossover. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that whole moment, I agree, is, is it feels more like that. this is the pop culture reference of the writers and not of the characters. And um, it doesn't connect to anything else is the thing. So, uh, again, I, I feel like some of the stronger – Cheers episodes have, have had these the teaser and the subplot and the plot have been at least thematically connected. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that here. Yeah, and then so the, it, onto the like, the mime subplot, and we mentioned like how Diane is talking about it. She she kind of tells the group that she's doing this. You know, they're quick to make fun of it. Norm has a joke about it. Uh, Cliff actually asks her to demonstrate. It, it seems like he's kind of coming to her defense, but really it's a more subtle. Let Diane, you know, show her mime act in, in order to just kind of embarrass herself because yeah. she keeps doing the demonstration. It's sort of the classic, uh, how does she say it, like a, per- a person trapped in a glass box that's like slowly shrinking or something. And yeah. the way he describes he, he he says, oh, now she's a cop directing traffic. Or now she's a waiter carrying a heavy tray. And then the last one, a midget imitating Judy Garland. <laughs> and this, in this like quick little span of time, they have the words midget and Sam says sissy when he's describing like her art thing. And I was like, both of those lines, or both of those words, I was like, I don't, they wouldn't use those words today. But, no, no, yeah. that's for sure. Um, um, but, but as, um, as Diane is like on her way out, she gives Cliff an obscene hand gesture. Like it was, she basically does like a screw you gesture and everything. I was like, would Diane do that? I mean, it's it's nice because it's a it's a silent, you know, physical performative act, so it ties into the mime thing. But still, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, maybe she learned those. <laughs> she learned some new moves. <laughs> Seems like she would have learned that from the guys. But I mean, she's the waitress. He's the customer. I don't know. I, I just thought that was kind of an odd one, but. So yeah, the 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 Carla, the, she the the gang coaxes out of her what's wrong, and she's unlucky. She says all of her dates lately have fallen into two categories: either geeks or those studying to enter geekdom. Yes, not the geeks that we know today. So she's not talking about us, right? Yeah, right. Her. When she's like, she's talking about people who eat the heads off chickens. You know, <laughs> yeah. the, the original meaning of geek, which would have been a sort of repugnant person. <laughs> yes, yeah, circus performer. Um, so she put her ad in the personals describes her as warm, witty, and Italian in every way except fat. Uh, it, she mentioned that she's 33 years old. Now, just two episodes before this, I think we meet her oldest son, Anthony, who's 16 years old in the episode and mentions that she was 16 when she was pregnant with him. So that actually tracks like the, her age and everything like that. Like they actually did the math and, and I don't know exactly what Rhea Perlman was when she was doing this episode, but you know, yeah, the, the character of Carla would be 33 at this point. And it has six kids. Yeah, and, and six kids, aging between 16 and two. Did she have one last season? Yeah, yeah, or less yeah. than that, yeah. One or two, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Or, well, yeah, because one of them would have just been born. One of them was probably less than a year at this point. Yeah. Um, she's five foot and a quarter inch. And I love that she just ends the, the, the ad of note, I have six kids. That is not a misprint. <laughs> six. Yeah. Yeah. So, she, yeah. So the, the others are sort of accusing her of, of not having lied to, you know, the, the, the first law of, uh, of uh, advertising. Mm-hmm. You got to lie. And then she goes on to you know to say, well, I could have described myself as as a as some sort of like a babe the, right, the way she right. describes it, and then well, they have to meet me eventually. Um, but they're, <laughs> I mean, they're all they're only talking about the the kids thing. But that's this kind of the same thing. You could go on dates with someone, but eventually you've got to admit that you've got you know they've got to meet your children. So mm-hmm. the so she really seems to be in it for. In it to win it, you know, not not just for dating, but for something a little more stable. So the person has to know that she has six kids, has to accept the fact that she has six kids, has to love her six kids, right. or else it's not going to work. So she's not looking for uh, dalliance here. So And, and it's, that, that sort of plays out across – there are many little moments without actually addressing it. There are many little moments in the episode where that's clear. Mm-hmm. That she, you know, she, she, she's not in it for, a, you know, a couple dates or just a, a wild night on the town or anything. Right. So once the guys kind of concoct this scheme that they're going to make up a letter, and again, they're thinking, it, like, I, I like how they actually kind of, like, they they think about it. They're like, you know, it can't be somebody too good. If there was, like, a doctor or skin or some perfect Adonis, she would be onto them. She was like, she would know that this isn't a legit thing. But it seems like it's got to be somebody who is good enough and, and sort of like better than what she's expecting to really make her feel good. You know, it's got to, it's got to somehow elevate it. Um, and I like, they actually, they put their hands together to do like an all for one, one for all type of thing. Like they're, they're all united. And Woody comments that Cliff's hands are soft like a girl. And it's kind of funny in the moment, but then like, I couldn't, I couldn't separate that. I was like, no, Cliff is a postal carrier. His hands would not be like that. His hands would be like, like rocks, like, like the number of like paper cuts and work that a postal mm-hmm. carrier puts on their hands and stuff like that. No way. <laughs> no, you're right. Maybe he, uh, <laughs> he treats them well or <laughs> maybe <laughs> I gets mean, home we don't in know. Palmolive. Yeah. Know. We don't know that he's a good postal carrier, but we know that he's pretty dedicated. So yeah. <laughs> In in fact, they're going to use that in the letter when when you know <laughs> yes, when, she, yeah. when when Carla reads the letter, there is a mention of the postal service, which should have been a giveaway. Yeah, yeah, because he's an air because Mitch is an airline pilot who travels a lot. For now, they'll have to depend on the U.S. Postal Service to continue their love. It's like okay, I know who wrote that line. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's it's uh, um, it, it should have been a giveaway, and uh, but. She doesn't notice, of course, but um, air, airline pilot is sort of this. It, it still felt like it was in the same category as ski instructor and doctor, uh, because there is like a romantic notion mm-hmm. that goes with it. Um, but that may be that may have been more true of the like, you know Pan Am, you know, like the sixties, yeah. uh, you know, kind of. Um, so anyway, she buys it. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not a problem. Yeah, and I think I mean I think wisely they they. They don't mention that. They don't lead with that. What they lead with the fact that he's divorced, he was married, and it didn't work out, and everything. So kind of doesn't. Okay, that's something that she can relate to, and he doesn't like you know you know bars or the single scene and everything. You know, so he's not he's not a flashy party guy. He's not a he's not like a hip guy who's out like to meet new women all the time and everything. He's like he likes quiet nights by like the fire and everything like that. So definitely somebody who Carla probably would not meet in normal life. 
um, mm-hmm. and then bring up the fact that he's a pilot who travels to different places. So I do think, in which, terms which of, is useful. Yeah, it's useful because then they don't get to meet because <laughs> right, it's always yeah. away. Yeah, they yeah. they ask. She, she's like, he's flying like Cairo right now. They have to wait until he gets like re- rerouted back to domestic flights or something. Yeah, and it's interesting that for Carla. The moment, like she's laughing at the letter. She's she's gotten these letters before, mm-hmm. uh, and and she's very dismissive of any man that might be interested in her. So, so that's part of her, I don't innate self loathing probably. Mm-hmm. And and the the point where she changes her attitude is because it's not it's not a laughing matter. It's like oh I've been you know I've been divorced too or something, and it's like she's going Phew. you know she's laughing at stuff that is very basic. Mm-hmm. And then, but when he says he's not much for bars, that's where she like perks up, right? And that's interesting because she works in a bar. So to her, why why are all these men? Why why is she so quick to dismiss all these men? Well, she's surrounded by dismissible men, right? All day, uh, and she doesn't want like she's already determined that anyone that comes to Cheers is a moron <laughs> and not worth her time, right? <laughs> So when and someone to, says, I'm not into that, oh. I mean, to support her six kids, she's got to be at Cheers all the time. She's got to be, like, working there nonstop. So to have somebody that is an outsider would be kind of a respite, an escape from her day-to-day life. And, and Diane, you know, as soon as the – I mean, the, 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 the attitudes are kind of flipped because what Carla is dismissing at the top of the letter – doesn't get a reaction from uh, Diane, who's not in on it. Mm-hmm. But when it's like I'm a pilot, and Diane immediately smells the bullshit. Right, right. But interestingly, like, like doesn't necessarily attribute it to Sam and the others. No, she just no. thinks Carla should be skeptical to protect herself. Like, you know, per, you know, heart, guard your heart. You do. You have no idea if this is any. If this is, there's any truth to this letter, you got to you know guard yourself. So she wants her to be more skeptical. And then she finds out that it's Sam's doing, and and calls them on it. So. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the, the we haven't talked about the picture of <laughs> yeah. uh, of Mitch. Yeah. Um, the thing that I find interesting here, which which is not they don't they don't say it outright, but uh, seems to make sense to me, is that okay? The picture came from it came with <laughs> uh, Norm's wallet, and he still carries it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just... So this is the uh, picture. You know, the picture slot is often there's a, you know, there's a, there's a fake one in there. Right. And uh, a model. Mm-hmm. And this is very much Norm's uh, shtick. They don't make a joke out of it. I'm surprised that they don't go for the joke. But normally, you'd have Vera's photo in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so he's the man who doesn't put his wife's picture in the wallet and just leaves the <laughs> male model uh, in there instead. He, he's kind of lucky that it wasn't like a family picture because very often it's family pictures. Uh, you pictures know, husband, wife, and a kid. And, you know. Yeah, actually, why why would a wallet, typically a men's garment, a men's object, a men's garment, have a, like a, a photo a headshot man. of an, another guy? You would think there would be like a one for like the wife or kids in there. Yeah, no. I, I don't <laughs> think it makes actual sense. Yeah. But, uh, but you need the picture for... Right. And and the way it it comes into it without talking about Vera is is still a Vera joke. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And then, the, of course, like then another guy, when Carla is showing the picture around, another guy recognizes it. He's like, I've seen this before. And the gang braces themselves. They think the jig is up. And he recognizes it from like a photo frame at a, at a store or something like that. Or, like Macy's Woolworths. Or Woolworths which, or something Which like is um, yeah. quite nostalgic because it was the department store in mm. my hometown. Yeah. I, it's it closed, of course, now. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, it's where you went to shoplift. <laughs> I never did, but um, that's what it was. So, of course, Carla jumps to the wrong conclusion, letting them off the bat, which is that he must be a model too. Which now she's fully committed because she's willing to believe kind of kind of ridiculous things. Yeah, it's, it's a confirmation bias. You know, at, mm-hmm. at that point, she is uh, convinced that Mitch is is real because she wants him to be. And so she's making up these these stories. I mean, and of course, since they're all witnessing this, they can reference that in future letters if they need to, and yeah. just make sense of it. Yeah, and then so uh, once we come back with the second night, now she actually reveals that you know she's blowing off like she actually got a a letter from a real suitor, a guy named Vinnie Clausen. She blows that off because that can't compare to to Mitch and the guy. The, you know, now they're like, okay, we now this <laughs> we were too good at our job because she's. You know, she's ignoring, she's rejecting actual living, breathing suitors for something that is never going to work out for her. And I love the little exchange Sam is like, guys, how come we didn't see this one coming? And Diane is like, oh, this from the group that every year fails to see winter coming. And, and it's true because, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. I got to I gotta take those screens. Norma's like, yeah, thanks for reminding me. I have to take those screens down. Yeah. So this whole plays out because then eventually Vinny comes to the bar and he meets Carla and she's wants to let him down easily uh and that is when sam is like all right we we've got to tell her we we've got to like bring this thing so he pulls her aside and i love the setup he's like put your hands in your pockets first because he knows what she would do and then as he starts to kind of like tell her mitch isn't real they were going to do this thing she freaks out she kicks sam in the shin and he kind of stumbles into the men's room because they're in the back hallway and then when she's like, what did you think was going to happen when we actually met? And as, as you mentioned, like, we had that covered. When the time came, Mitch's plane was going to go down in the South Pacific. And so she kicks him again, and he falls this time into the women's bathroom, and you hear the scream. And I love that part. If there's a link to the whole mime uh, element, it, it's that they do these kinds of, uh, you know, like physical humor bits. Mm. I mean, that's a very, very thin link, but... Um, an appreciable one, I think. Mm-hmm. So this, this is the this is the part where okay, now I like the episode because yes. um, Rhea Perlman's performance in this is very interesting. She could be playing it angry, and that's not what she's doing. At, at no point is she. I mean, she's of course she's kicking Sam, and she's not happy about it. But her face is more or less fixed on being hurt. And, um, and and not confused about this whole situation, rather than purely angry, mm-hmm. and um, and that makes me feel for her, and it works well with the scene because she has to forgive. It's a you know it's a twenty two minute sitcom. She's right. got to forgive <laughs> Sam in that moment, and then move on from there, and and go to Vinny and. That was actually one of the other things that I kind of like felt like a little bit hard to believe. Like I kind of thought like as she was walking out, she would have turned back to the guys and said, no matter how this date ends up going, 
I'm going to get you back for this. I'll make you pay for this. Like there, there would have been some veiled threat that this isn't over, you know, just because yeah. it might work. Like I might have a good time with this guy. There will be a reckoning for what you guys did to me. Like I thought that, yeah. would, that would come back, but um, no, yeah, I, I'm completely, I mean, like it's, it definitely seemed like, I, I, I think you actually mentioned this earlier. She, she was quick to forgive kind of by necessity of the plot. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, Diane, who has been chastising these guys the whole time, is also quick to their defense. And she's like, think about what happened. She's like, they didn't do this to hurt you. They, it's like, what they did was unbelievably stupid. And, and, and Norma's like, good, good way to sugarcoat it. She's like, but they did it out of love. And they were trying to make you feel better. And, hey, one way or another, you might have a date right now. Forget about them and, and go take advantage of that. And, yeah. So, yeah. and, and when when Vinny is starting to leave, and she's like, "Hey, wait!" He's like, "Well, I finished my drink," and she just screams, "Sit down!" And he's like, "Oh, shit. yeah." Well, he's uh, he's a good match for her because he's um, she's a dominant mm-hmm. and he's a submissive, and immediately you see that, so that can't work out as yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. yeah base. What I like about that that those final bits is the um, is that Diane at some point goes to like comfort her and put like a hand on her shoulder or something it's like you don't there's just and it's just physical it's like it's like a don't touch me yeah uh move and uh, and so so I, I really love carla in many of these moments because i'd be you know before that when she's kind of uh yeah i threw out this guy in favor of mitch and uh and diane is saying whatever something it's like even the stick is uh you know i like that line even the stick is jealous um mm. Like she's much too cocky about this uh, fake relationship, and uh, so so then she's taken down a peg. But we might feel that well, you know, Carla was a little bit, you know, full of herself being in this relationship, which wasn't very strong. So she's kind of she's playing the fool, and so when she's taken down a peg, she sort of deserves it as well because she she thinks she's you know. Uh, she's she's the queen and, and she's gotten everything she wants, but it's not true. So mm. at that point, I, I'd say the episode is juggling this plot pretty well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Vinny Clausen, by the way, the the actor who plays him, played by Michael Alamo, um, he appeared in a bunch of movies and TVs around that time. I, I recognized him instantly from the Michael Keaton movie Mr. Mom, which came out around this exact same time, I think. Um, he was also in the China Syndrome. He, he was in stuff like The Man from Atlantis, The Fall Guy, dozens of TV stuff. Curiously, as I looked deeper into his IMDb page, like a lot of his very early credits from the 60s, unless this is a mistake on IMDb, this guy did a lot of like porn and, or, well, not a lot, but like at least five like porn or erotic movies in the 60s. Like, all of these movies by Joseph Sarno, and uh, Rob has got to do a fade-out episode on this guy. Um, but um, but he was all is, this guy is credited as Michael Lawrence, but there's like five of these movies very early in his in his um, IMDb thing. And to look at him, you wouldn't necessarily think porn star or adult film actor, but that's what it is on his IMDb page, so... <laughs> well, sometimes you need, like, that comedy character... He's not necessarily having sex in these movies. True, true, true. It, it didn't look like he was the lead in any of them, but yeah, <laughs> you need that guy. So, yeah, you um, need the guy, the peeping yeah. Tom, you know, something right, like that. Right. 
And then Soto the Mime was played by Don Lewis, uh, who has 16 acting or on-screen on performing credits on IMDb. Half of them, he's just credited as either a mime, a clown, or a magician. So okay. he definitely worked his way on stage because of this... Um, because of this background, he also has some puppeteering credits on IMDb, including uh, uh, Dra- Bram Stoker's Dracula and Team America. But I found it great that his first performing credit on IMDb before Cheers is Breaking Two: Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this guy had obviously was an actual meme, and uh, <laughs> you know the, had that actual training, and so they brought him in to to do whatever. Um, that whole plot. I know. Um, and the fact that it ends with Norm and Cliff becoming Cheers' bouncers and throwing him out face yes. first. <laughs> uh, is like that, the, the cruelty element isn't certainly in that subplot. Uh, and it's also kind of inexplicable. Okay, I can understand that Diane is taking mime classes because she's, I mean, she's always been interested in French culture. Uh, she's going to this Jacques Brel concert. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, you know, she studied uh, French literature. She's all the fact that she, I mean, this is one of the better lines for me is that she calls it meme. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that little touch. That is so pretentious. Uh, <laughs> and earlier in this season, she said that she used sans froid as, uh, you know, um, she was always throwing out these little French words. Uh, that you can't believe anyone else at Cheers knows what she's talking about. So, <laughs> uh, so that she says meme instead of mime as to make it high art. Mime, that's terrible. Meme is, of course, the <laughs> high art version. And then when the guy shows up, he's just like a, any street performer. He's you know basically doing all the mime stuff that we've seen a million times, mm-hmm. either in person or in shows like this when there's a mime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked Sam's reaction to him. How like as soon as he walks in, Sam is like, "Oh no!" Like and just like every little thing, Sam, every little thing he does, Sam is just almost laughing to himself with how much he hates this. He's just so disgusted. And when like sort of mimes like he's going to fight or something, he's like, "Yeah, don't tempt me, guy." And he tells Diane to get him out of here before there's clown white all over the walls. I feel, I feel like that performance from um, Ted Danson is very sincere. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I don't know if it's real, but um, but you know, well, he's, he's, he jumps on the bar, and I, so that's you don't you don't sit on the bar. <laughs> yes. I mean, but he sits on the bar, and he's doing like he's doing like the sad face stuff, or and it's like this is exactly the stuff I hate. Like, like you know, it it really feels like he's reacting to the moment, almost as if if you told me that they let the okay mime do whatever. Would do your shtick, and Ted Danson is just reacting honestly and coming up, you know, ad libbing through this. I would believe it because it felt so, it felt so real. It felt very authentic yeah. in terms of dialogue at that at those moments. Yeah. So we both mentioned by uh, in th- this episode was a slow starter. You know, there were, there was some stuff that kind of took me out of the episode, and just as a plot, it wasn't super interesting or original. It wasn't the funniest episode. But I think we both agree that it builds up and the, the last couple minutes are pretty good. Um, and I like actually once once Carla and Vinny start talking, I was like, this feels like a real like 
like cheers thing. They kind of like they have some good back and forth and good dialogue. Um, there was actually a line that I thought he delivered that was really funny that didn't get a good laugh from the studio audience, and maybe it was because it was a little bit more macabre. But she's like, um, she goes, "Are you?" She's like, "Are you like? Do you have any problem with dating women on the rebound?" And he's like, "No, I've dated tons of women on the rebound, mostly widows." Which, because he's a funeral director, yeah, I think that's a great line. But the studio audience did not respond to that one. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe when it's not delivered by a regular, yeah, a series regular, sometimes it's it's harder for the audience to to yeah. feel the the cue. Uh, maybe yeah. that's it. Yeah. But it turns out he's kind of a weirdo as well because she asks. I mean, she's <laughs> as they leave. He's go. She's going. Uh, Do you mind if I uh, called you Mitch? Yeah. Uh, and then, well, can I call you whatever it is? He's like, he's like, not at all. He's like, do you mind if I call you Raven and pretend you're a Vegas showgirl? And she just stops him on the stairs. She's like, you're weird. I like that. And like, cut to like the the like the end credits, like the producers' names and everything. And I was like, that might have been the best line. And like to end with that punchline, I was like, okay, the episode saved itself. I was a little iffy on it, but that was a really strong finish for the last couple of minutes. And then he's never heard from again. No, so, so so it goes. You know, that's kind of the the case for her because she yeah. does have other boyfriends that she has had in the last in the first couple seasons that we never see. Yeah, and he's got seven. Well, there, there's that other joke where he's got seven children. He, I love children. <laughs> I've got seven of my own, and she like closes the door on him. Uh, and it's a it's a joke, but uh, I think there's a you know a bit of seriousness in there. And if if we're to project and say, well, this relationship didn't work out, even though they seem to have a good chemistry, it may be because of that. Mm-hmm. A thirteen-child uh, <laughs> household would have not been, you know, a, a good deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Brady Bunch. Pff, we we we've got fifteen family members, and we can talk. About. <laughs> oh yeah, so uh, yeah, again, like I, I, there were a number of aspects about this that I thought you'd find interesting. And one thing was the sort of redemptive act of yeah, they're pulling a prank on her, and it's an old gag that it is kind of a trope in sitcoms, but they're doing it from a place of love and friendship and trying to make her feel better. And even though it could have disastrous consequences, there's a kind of sweetness and tenderness about the resolution at the end that I think kind of makes this a a nice episode to watch. Again, I don't think there are any bad Cheers episodes. This one isn't the strongest, and I think you're you're right. It's the weakest of the first seven of this season that we've got so far, but it's still enjoyable and pleasant by the end of it. Yeah, and uh, you say it's sweet. It's you know when uh, at, at, at that and when she knows the truth and she's decided to forgive and move on. Um, she asks Sam, who wrote like the, the romantic bits that really worked on her, and, yeah. and was obviously it was him. And he said, uh, "It's easy, you know. Um, it's easy because it was about you, or you know." Yeah, he's, he, he's like, he's like, I know. I, he's like, I, I may have taken it too far. Or I may have gotten carried away with myself, but with you, it's easy. And right. She, and she walks away, going, "So they say." <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is part of that. Um, there's that that platonic romance between. Uh, Sam and Carla that's mm-hmm. been there since the first season. So uh, I felt like it tapped into that mm-hmm. and that made it easier to forgive him uh, because it, it, it does prove that he was thinking of her. And uh, I think that works with you know, what, what she thinks of Sam mm-hmm. and what their love relationship, quote unquote, is about and how that works. So uh, that it came from there. And I think that that sort of pleases her in a way. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, as mentioned at the top, I gave credit. I gave Norm credit for five beers this episode uh, for his tab. So he has now had three hundred and twelve for the series up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, for the employee of the week, I thought I thought Carla did a good job. I mean, it was a Carla centric episode, and especially Rhea Perlman's like her her shifting from being bummed out and angry in the beginning to kind of a little bit lovey dovey and moonstruck later on to the rage and then like yeah the whole the whole shift in the performance <laughs> like when you said like even she kind of like flinches at at Diane when no one like Diane like tries to comfort her um, yeah I thought I thought Carla had a good one this one. Yes, I, I think that I agree. I, there can only be one employee of the of the week, and that's it has to be her. Yeah. What did you think was the home run or the best gag, the funniest moment, or or not just the the best overall moment of the episode? Well, my favorite line reading maybe uh, in this, and we haven't talked about it. I, I kept it to myself. Is um, uh, is early on when she's discussing the the fact that she hasn't gotten an answer from. Um, from any suitors mm-hmm. and uh, you know if she describes herself as this gorgeous redhead or whatever the description is uh, what happens what do what do I tell the guy when he meets me <laughs> yeah. and and Sam says mm, stress <laughs> yeah. that to me was the funniest line that's the line that I laughed at that was a good one that was a good one yeah um, my my runner up was actually her the last line the, like the button when she says you're weird I like that I had that as my runner up but for me my my favorite it wasn't necessarily a line but it was the sequence of her kicking Sam in the shins and him going like like stumbling into the bathrooms first the men's room and then the second time she does it when he goes into the women's room and you hear a woman scream because he's in there I just thought that little play that little sequence was was a fun gag a fun and you pointed out it was a fun bit of physical action and physical performance in an episode that has a mime. So, yeah. No, no, no surprise. The mime didn't score. The best thing about the mime was when Norman Cliff physically pick him up and and heave him out into the into the hall. Although I like it when he like knocks on and, and asks Diane. He's like, "Same time tomorrow." And Woody's reaction: He spoke. It's a miracle. I like that. Yeah, from Woody. for Woody, the a mime is the uh, deaf mute person. So. Yes, because Woody introduces himself by talking really loud, thinking that he's deaf. Yeah, and they're like, he, which, he's not which deaf. doesn't help with deaf people at all either. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's this. It's yeah. It's the same thing. Like, oh God, I have a. I have an uncle who's not too smart who who had that approach with people who didn't who we assumed didn't speak English as their language. Just talk louder, and that's the that, that's what's going to make them understand. It's like, yeah. are you stupid? Anyway, uh, cool, cool. All right, well, uh, Cisco, thank you for coming back to Cheers Cast and talking about this episode. Um, where else can we find you? Uh, we know where you can find you on the network, but where else can we find you if the folks want to hear more from you? Uh, well, if uh, not the network, then I still do write at, at least in one article a day at Cisco's blog of geekery. So, um, you know, it's, it's a good little morning read, whatever, if you like geek stuff. I, I hope you're I hope you start incorporating more mime acts into your improv class and your improv oh, tournaments. I am not a physical player, uh, which is well, I, I say that the because there are really two types of players. The, the the verbocentric, mm-hmm. the very verbose uh, player, which obviously I am. I'm a talker. But then there's the the physical players who are great at mime and who can I, I call them uh, uh, we we'll call them different names, but 
<laughs> but who have like a physical humor. And uh, obviously, we're not playing in front of people very often because of, of the whole COVID situation. But the um, the last tournament I participated in, I was kind of bored with my game. So I decided that like, okay, this time I'm going to be a physical player and just like throw myself into in, into that type of uh, and uh, I must say I had uh, some success. <laughs> Mostly because it's 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 so different from what I'm I'm used to doing, and also you know then you have to recuperate for a week or two because you hurt all over because your body's <laughs> not made for that. I hope you put Soto to shame. So. Man, I all hope right. so too. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on the show, and thanks to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook, favoriting and retweeting on Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents and Monday Movie Muckabout, uh, who sponsors this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and until next time, we're closed. Oh, all right, you're off the hook. Just tell me one thing. Who wrote all those lovey parts? Oh, that was, that was my department. You did a real good job. Well, I'm sorry if I got carried away there. But with you, it's kind of easy. So they say.